this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Jay Allen Show. Hopefully everything is going good and grand in your neck of the woods. Thank you for coming out once again and hanging out as we do these things that we do here on Safety FM. Thank you for taking a look at what we always have going on here. It's been very exciting seeing all the people coming out to Safety FM Plus to see what it's all about. Hopefully you are enjoying the video streaming service that's available everywhere, of course. Anyway, so let me not take too much time at the beginning of this thing and let's get you started in talking about what we have going on here today in the show. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode as I get to talk to William from WK Speakers. That's correct. William builds better humans and he's not shy to say it. He is also the executive director with the John Maxwell team. Certified in the DISC method of behavioral analysis and having been trained by Maxwell's organization, William works with individuals, teams, companies, and non-leader dependent high-performing teams from the bench to the boardroom. I hope you enjoy our conversation here today with William from WK Speakers on The Jay Allen Show. So I have to tell you, I normally don't ever have anything planned out because that's just kind of the way that it works with this thing. I just kind of go, I we do some research on what we can find and then we go from there. Are you fine with that? Sure, absolutely. Good, good, good. I love it that way because if not, then it just sounds like we're kind of robotic and that kind of gets old. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Actually, my daughter and I have talked about doing a podcast because she's, um, I, I raised her to be a strong, independent thinking young woman. And it's come around to bite me in the ass a couple of times, but um, she's very liberal. I'm very conservative, but we have the ability to have, you know, really difficult conversations, but still respect one another and just learn to agree to disagree. And we've thought about doing a podcast on just on that exact thing, uh, because that's, you know, something that this world needs more of right now. So. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a, a great conversation starter, especially a great concept for a podcast, because it seems like you either have to watch or listen or do this. And that's the only people that I can speak to, according to the majority or this other group. So it's either one way or the other. And I think that we need to sit down and have some of these conversations. Yeah, and that's that's largely what I speak on is, uh, you know, my, my tagline, as you saw on my social media, is I build better humans. And it's all based around the concept of until we can sit down around a table and have an open, honest conversation and respect each other's differences of opinion, we're, we're never going to get this get this right. So, so, so how did that come about for you? So let's start off with that. How did that come about? That tagline, and I would imagine, has to turn people on and turn some people off all at the same time. So how did you come up with it? You know, I just literally pulled it out of my rear end. Um, I mean, that's. I I don't know if I should tie that in together. I build better humans and I pull it out of my rear end. That's kind of weird. (laughs) I pulled it out of left field. Okay, good. So, you know, it's. I work really, you know, primarily with DISC method of behavioral analysis. So, you know, part of what we'll talk about today is, you know, in in my presentation I do for safety folks and conventions and whatnot is, you know, changing the BS in your BBS. Um, you know, and it's, it's just changing that belief system. And it's, it's all about helping people understand one another. And, you know, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are our fears? 
and helping people understand that just because I'm good at something that, that Jay's not good at, that doesn't mean Jay's not really great at other things. And if I bring Jay in to help me out, we can collaborate and, and, you know, we, we both, we get the best of both of us, but you know, so many times people say, well, I got to shore up this, this part of my, my, my being because it's not strong enough. Well, that's nonsense. Um, you know, I'm, <clears throat> my dad and brother both flew for the Navy. Um, and when I was a kid growing up, you know, you take all the standardized tests and they say, you know, you'd be a great engineer and all that. And I'm like, no, you know, I have the intellect to do it, but I don't have the, I don't have the personality to. So I've, I mean, I can do the math. I can do the, the, the spatial relations. I can put stuff together, but the desire to sit down and, and work with work out, you know, complex equations, I'd rather go to the craft store, buy a knitting needle and just do a home lobotomy. Yeah. So, so when did you come up with this concept? So when did you say, okay, I'm open to the idea with working with strengths of other people and kind of collaborating together? Because a lot of people, let's just be realistic, are not open to that. So at what point in your career do you say, okay, this is what I would like to see? You know, um, I'm, a, I'm a high eye personality style, which means I'm very outgoing and relational. So I've always been that leader that's, that's, that's sought consensus from people that are, are different. Um, I mean, I, I, my first part of my career, I was in the clothing business and I had, I mean, I had a very diverse uh, group of people working together and they worked together fabulously, but it was because we, they, we all, we all appreciated the strengths of one another um, and realized that we couldn't do it all. So I guess it's something I kind of intuitively have known my whole life because my dad being the engineer, my brother being the engineer, you know, they're at the opposite end of the spectrum from me. And it was, you know, when I first got, when I knew as a kid growing up, if I was going to have a conversation with my dad, it was vastly different than mom. Mom was pretty much, as long as you're not bleeding and you're home for dinner, it's good. Just go have fun. My dad wanted to know where was I going? Who was I going with? What time was I going to be back? Was it going to cost any money? Was it going to be dangerous? (laughs) Forget it. I'll just go ask mom. So, so kind of understanding that when I first got into professional sales, I worked for Prudential Insurance. And I sold group medical insurance. When I'm going through training, I learn, you know, I read the right book and I find out, well, architects and engineers get our best rates. And I thought, okay, well, that's great. But these, this is going to be like working with dad. But the, our rates were so good with that category, it was almost like giving the stuff away. So once you, once you were able to, to deal with that personality style and understand how they made decisions, it was pretty simple. But I would literally sit in my car before going into a meeting and go through the mantra in my head. They think like dad, they think like dad, they think like dad. And I just knew that is I was going to give them every detail I could think of and that they were going to ask me a ton of questions because that personality style just requires more information. They just need to know everything. They got to have all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, and then they have to process before they make a decision. So I just, I mean, I just kind of intuitively knew that from dealing with my dad as a kid. So I just, you know, I would give them everything I could think of and and they would ask me questions and, you know, I'd get back to them on a lot of stuff because it wasn't stuff that, that, you know, I was, I had, you know, readily at my disposal. So get it back to them, give them time to, to process, follow up. And I usually got the deal, uh, but it was, it was understanding at an intuitive level that they just, they, they processed information differently than I did. And I fast forward more years than I'll admit, and I start studying human behavior. And I go, oh, I get it. That's, 
That's that's their that's 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 their personality style. And here's mine, and they're literally at opposite ends of the spectrum. And their greatest fear for a C-wired personality style, which is typically your architects, engineers, accountants, those kind of folks, um, is making is being criticized. So they will they will hold off making a decision until they have all the facts, so that they can make a decision that that's that's rock solid. So when you look at this, do you turn around and go that this is kind of adaptable to all industries? Because, of course, you said you were talking about insurance and then you kind of fast forwarded a little bit. And now you also referenced a little bit ago about that. You're you talked to a lot of people taking about taking the BS out of BBS. But now that you're dealing with safety people, do you see that they do kind of the same style uh, before they actually make a decision? Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, it, it depends on what what their level is. And most of the people that I'm dealing with are ASSP. Um, you know, I've spoken to a couple of the ASSP, you know, uh, the, their regional conferences, and I've spoken to a number of the, of the, uh, the local chapters on this. Um, and yeah, they, the, the ones that are, are the, the engineering mindset. Yeah, absolutely. But that's kind of the, the, the aspect that you've dealt with when you were younger, as you reference as well, too, because of your brother and your father. Right. So when you look at this and you go, Using the ASSP for an example, depending on where the person is inside of their career, do you almost see the same characteristics as you're having the conversation where you go, okay, I can go here, here, and here, but if I say this, I'm going to turn them off? You know, a lot of that comes from from just experience and working with people um, and, and learning to read people's personality by the way you, you they interact with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people that are in the, the safety role at the ASSP level tend to be more of that, that analytical type person. Uh, but, you know, you'll have a guy that's a leader on the floor, a shop foreman that's the head of the safety committee, um, and he's, he's likely going to be a completely different personality style. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100% there. So as you're doing this stuff with the ASSP and then some of the, the regional ones, do you normally go into organizations as well? And speak to some of the leadership that's there. That's that's my plan, yeah, and that's that's why I t- I, I, I speak at conference. I'm always looking for 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 leverage when I'm when I'm looking for speaking gigs. <clears throat> I want to be able to speak to a group of people that have that are with in diverse companies. So speaking of the ASSP, I mean, I've got got 50 people in the room. It's most likely I'm gonna have at least 40 companies represented there. And if and if what I'm making saying telling them makes sense then I've got access to 40 companies to, to go to work for. So then let's kind of do some highlights then. So there's a reference that you have about the edge. So what is the edge? Tell me about the edge. The edge. Where's yeah, you have, you have a portion that says that you give people the edge because you build better humans. What is the edge that, they're giving, that you're giving them? Well, the, the edge is, my belief is that, that self-awareness and emotional intelligence are the cornerstone of every relationship you'll ever have, both personally and professionally. And that edge is the ability to understand people that don't process or don't think the same way you do. And to be able to, to, to develop empathy for people that, that are different. And, you know, just like we started our, our the conversation with, you know, having the ability to, uh, to, to have those open, honest conversations with people that are, are just different from us, whether it's, uh, whether it's you know racially or or you know or sexual orientation or whatever it is, if if somebody processes information or is just different than we are, you know it's real simple. When you sit down with somebody and, and you're the same personality type, you just click. 
And then there's people that, that you just kind of, the conversation kind of feels like it's dragging on and you're having to pull stuff out of them. Well, if you understand what their personality style is and you can speak to them the way they need to be spoken to and, and provide them with, with the information um, the way they receive information, then you're going to have a better opportunity to connect with that person. So it's, it's, it's all about the edges about being able to have, you know, to connect with people that are different than you are. So right now, if, because you get to speak to, to these different people, what are you seeing based on interactions afterwards that they're telling you that the disconnect that they're having with either their organization, their C-suite, maybe even their, their, the same tier, or maybe the people that report to them, are they telling you what they're seeing their failures based on the conversations you're having with them? You know, uh, not, not so much, unfortunately. Um, I, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not getting as much feedback um, on what's, what's going on in their organizations as, I, as I'd like to. So right now, are you doing the majority of the stuff like via Zoom or are we talking pre-COVID or pre-whatever this mess is altogether? Yeah, or- I, I've, been, I've been speaking on this for about three years. Um, and I've done this professionally full time since January of last year, so I'm just just coming in on closing out my second year. Um, and the first, you know, the first the first year was really just a matter of laying the groundwork and letting people know, um, you know, what I'm talking about. Because uh, I had and I'd come out of a software sales role. That, that and the reason I, I do a lot of work with ASSP is in my former job, um, I sold a, a software that was a content management for digital signage. So we did a lot of work with, with the safety field. So that's kind of my connection in there. And then I've got, you know, I've developed some relationships and friendships with people that are in ASSP. And that's, that's kind of my connection with those guys. Um, you kind of already knew where I was going to go because I was, I was going to ask, how do you go from selling <laughs> insurance to how do you make it here? Because I mean, it's, it's, it's not um, the easiest place to get to. Most of the times it's either punishment and people or got, people got here by mistake. So I wanted to be like, ah, how did you get here for sure? How did you have the people get in the safety role? Yeah, right. Because that's, that's normally what happens. It's yeah. either some punishment, somebody quit. We're going to move you there because we think you know some things about safety. So how are you enjoying it so far? So you're doing public speaking when, of course, it was available before. But how are you liking this? I mean, of course, doing the different things that you've done work-wise and then now you get to interact with people that are inside of the field of safety. You get to speak to them at a high level. How are you liking that? Like, do you feel personal gain out of that? You know, I love it. I've, I've, I say I've been in the, the relationship business my whole life. I've just had three different uh, products that I've sold, if you will. Um, early in my career, I was in the cl- uh, tailored clothing business. So I, I ran retail stores for uh, Hart Shafter Marks. And as I started getting ready to you know, start a family, I realized that wasn't that lifestyle of retail wasn't going to give me the, the, the freedom of my time that I wanted to be the kind of father I wanted to be. So that's I had a lot of clients that were in insurance. My stepfather had been with Prudential for years and years. Um, so that's I made the transition over to financial services. Uh, I spent 15 years in that world and then uh, transitioned out of that into software sales in 2005 and did that through 2018. Um, so it's always been, a, I've always been in a relationship business. So it's always been about you know, doing something that, that, that help, help my client, uh, you know, either you know, protect their family or uh, in, the, in the, the, the software sales role, 
it was just helping them communicate with their with their team better. So when you take the leap of faith of going out there and starting your own organization and you say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to go from the bench to the boardroom. Right. How does that actually work? How do you, how long are you sitting on this gem before you decide to pull the trigger and move forward? Um, in 2017, I was still with the comp- my, my software company and I was, um, I was working on a deal that would have been about 20, 20, 22% of their top line revenue for one deal. And, but it required them to make some changes to the programming and they, they had some internal air systems hangups that would make that difficult. And they were about to migrate to a different server and they were going to have to write the software twice. So they just said, we're not going to do it. Um, so they gave, that kind of told me that they weren't in it for the long haul. So I started looking for, for my last career, basically. Uh, Hold on. 22% of the revenue of the organization, they said they decided not to move forward with it. Yep. Well, and, and, and you would almost say you can't write this stuff. It kind of writes itself. Well, that's yeah. that's amazing. And and that was that was in uh, early first quarter of seventeen, maybe early second quarter of seventeen, and by third quarter of eighteen they were sold. So I was, I mean, I I I, I saw the writing on the wall essentially. Um, but anyway, so I I um, I stayed with them and I started looking for content providers. Cause I didn't really feel like I had a story that was, that was sellable. Um, and I, I've been a fan of John Maxwell's for years. So I joined John's Maxwell's team. And so that's where I get a lot of my content from or initially, but over the, over time as I'm, you know, developing my story and, and working with, with clients in different, uh, different ways, yeah, I, I read a ton. So I, I pull information from all sorts, all different sources. Um, but the, 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 the bench to the boardroom really is, is, Talking about within an organization, uh, you know, I use John Wooden's quote about when when an opportunity arises, it's really too late to prepare. So within an organization, the leadership has has identified you know a, a certain number of people within that organization that they see potential in. So what I wanted, what I do is I go come in and talk to them about developing their leadership skills, so that when an opportunity comes for that person, uh, you know, somebody gets poached from another company, you have somebody retire. They want to open a new a new facility, a new branch, or whatever, or just organic growth. They need they need you know put together a new team that they've got somebody that they can plug into that position that's ready to go. And if they're taking over a new team, there's not going to be any dip in performance of that team because this person is is already is already up to speed. So that's that's what I talk about on the on the bench. Now we get to the boardroom. We we hopefully within a within a board, uh, we've got a very we have a very diverse group of people. Um, unfortunately, most boards look like the founders, especially when it's in, and I, I work primarily with small to medium-sized companies, somewhere between 50 and 500 employees. So within, within that realm, they're, they're typically privately held. They're, they're probably um, still have the owner, uh, the founder owner it has some piece of the puzzle. Um, there's a com- company I've just engaged right now that that's the exact situation. The, the, the owner founder is 57 years old. Um, he's, he's doing very, very well. Um, he's, he started a, a, a nonprofit. So he's working on going from success to significance, but within the board, he's, everybody pretty much looks like him. So what we, what we really need is a, is a, a board um, that has a more diverse background. People with, you know, that did have different, um, are from different cultures that, that just they, they think differently. 
And the work that I do with, within boards, and it can be for-profit or non-profit, doesn't really matter. But um, t- when you've got a diverse group of people, what we need to do is figure out how, how to get them to work better together. So again, I work with the DISC method of behavioral analysis. We do a DISC assessment on each one of the team. We debrief the entire group together, whether it's virtually or in person, um, so that everybody understands the strengths, weaknesses, fears of everybody at the table. And once everybody has that knowledge, then they, they, they have the ability to, as we said earlier, to realize, okay, well, Jay's really good at this and I'm really good at that. We can work together. And, and here's if we're doing this type of project, here's the people we need to put together on the team to get that done. And one of the, and we, if, we, if we're on video, the, uh, the analogy that I use is I've got a nice ink pen that's got a gold clip on it. It's got a black barrel. So what I'll do is I'll hold the, 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 the clip up to the, to the camera and, and, ask, and say, look, if, if, if this is an issue or, or a topic that we're trying to discuss and all you're describing is the clip, and I turn it around and see, show the side that I see it, and, and all I see is the barrel, I think we're on different planets. I'm wondering what you're talking about because I don't see what you see. So it, with, with helping people develop that self-awareness and emotional intelligence, they have the ability to say, you know what, maybe that person sees something that I don't. And maybe I can be open to a new idea. And if that's the case, then I can listen to understand, not to respond. And that's one of the things that I, one of the things I, that I teach at all levels, whether it's you know, high school kids or, or boards of directors, is we, we have to, we've, we've become a society that just wants to react. So when, when, when somebody says something, if it doesn't sit right with, with somebody, well, then they're just going to fire back. And they're going to react to it. They're not going to respond. So just getting people to, to slow down enough to, to, to say, well, you know, maybe they see something I don't. And one of the quotes that I work with a lot is from Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor and a psychologist. And his, his statement or his quote is, between stimulus and response, there lies a space. And within that space, we have the man has the opportunity to decide how he's going to respond. So it's it's all about it, what I what I teach is all about getting people to think differently, and that's what you know changing the BS in your BBS is just changing your belief systems. You know. So let me ask let me ask a couple of questions here. So when you go into an organization, as you were using the example, there's a lot of people that kind of look like the owner or the or the or the CEO, and you tell them, hey, there needs to be some diversity and inclusion here. How does that conversation normally go? Because especially if this is what they've built and they're a smaller company being, as you said, between 50 to 500, how does that normally go for them? How do they, how do they take the information? You know, that's interesting because we just built a, uh, a workshop on diversity and inclusion. And one of the, part of what we talk about in there is, is that companies that have a more diverse and inclusive workplace are significantly more successful than those that do not. Um, and it, it's, it's really because of the changing demographic. In the next three to five years, 75% of the workforce is going to be made up of millennials. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. And, and, and so, so you, you said that you just build this course. We have to start telling people about your website. I don't want to leave them out, you know, without them knowing where we're kind of hanging out, taking a look at some of these things. Right on, wkspeaker.com. 
Um, WKS are my initials, and speaker just fit in with the S on the end of my initials. And, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a real, I'm a real, uh, real creative kind of guy, as you can tell. <laughs> well, I, it works as long as it works. You know, so, seventy yeah. percent of the actual workforce will consist of, of millennials. Do you think that things will change? And I'm going to ask kind of some strange questions here because we're, we're getting a lot of these. We'll, we'll say the cancel culture and the woke culture, which means let's cancel people out now. I or the the I have a better understanding now of the world from this perspective. Do you think that that will have huge impacts into the workforce going forward? And now, of course, I'm asking the crystal ball question. So we will take the answer however it comes about. But I understand that I'm asking for something to do um, predictions. And now if you do hit it on the on the head, I do want lottery numbers next. So just keep right. that in mind. <laughs> you know, I think the answer is it can't help but but change. Um, because as you know, I'm, a, I'm a boomer, so as as the boomers start to retire, um, and the next, the Gen Xers or one, whoever the ones are between us and the millennials. Um, yeah, I look at my daughter. She's 28 years old, just turned 28. So she, like I said earlier, she's she looks at the world vastly different than I do. But at the end of the day, we pretty much want similar things. Um, we we do have a we do have a little different vision on what the world should look like um, and could look like. Um, so. Yeah, I, I did, it's going to have to change. I mean, it, our our generation changed it from from our parents and grandparents, and I think it's just the evolution of society. Uh, the part that makes me sad is is as you're talking about the cancel culture and the uh, you know we just we we sh- we should be respectful of our history um, and and be able to teach and talk about it without getting without getting wrapped around the axle. Um, you know, sure, there was there's good and bad things that got this country where we are. Um, I think I'm starting to feel like we're getting off on a, on a different. I'm getting on a soapbox here, and I, I probably ought to hop off of it. Um, but yeah, to answer your question directly, I don't think we can help but have have the workforce change based on uh, the way the younger generation, just the way they think and act and believe. Okay, so let me ask a perspective question then, if you don't mind. Sure. Do you take a look at this that there's almost like two different worlds that we live in at one time? And let me explain what I mean by this. So we have kind of our, our physical world that we live in, like you are. You are right now where you have a conversation with somebody in person and you're there and you have the conversation. But then there's also this digital world that we live in where it's these pictures, these videos, and we kind of change kind of some of the perspectives of what people might think of us in person because of what they see digitally. Do you think that that has an impact inside of the workplace? Without a doubt. Uh, one of the things I talk about is that we, we tend to judge ourselves on what we know our weaknesses and failures are. And we tend to judge the rest of the world based on the highlight reel that we see on social media. So one of the, one of the pieces that I did a lot of work with early COVID, you know, as kids, people were, were first starting to figure out the, you know, we're, we're sequestered at home. Our kids are not in school. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to work from home. My, you know, my spouse is at home now. My kids are at home. You know, how am I supposed to do my job if I still have one? Um, and, and all the stresses it comes with that changing environment. Um, so the piece I did was, was called Family Stress to Family Best. And basically what it does is it helps parents look at their children or pay attention to their children and notice cues on, on 
how they how they respond to things or or how they react and help them understand that this it's a ten thousand foot level presentation, but it gives them some tips and cues on how to understand what personality style their child may be. And if that's their personality style, here's here's how that personality style responds to stress. So when a parent can understand about their child that they're not they're not acting out because they're trying to be little jerks, they're just they respond to stress. And that's part of what emotional intelligence is, is understanding how how things impact our, our ability to to make decisions, how, how stressors um, or uh, triggers impact our ability to, to get along with each other, how to you know, respond. Um, and a lot of times if people aren't self-aware enough to understand that, that they're, they're acting differently because they're stressed out, then, then they, just, they don't know. So what happens is the mammalian part of our brain, the animal part of our brain just starts to react. So one of the things that we've seen is a, is a huge rise in domestic violence and child abuse and, and those kind of things because people are stressed out and they don't have, they don't have to talk about it. You know, we, we as guys, especially we as guys, we just say, well, you know, just suck it up, buttercup, just bury your feelings, get, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead, go on. But if we understand that, that we're, we're responding differently to our, our, our children, our spouses, or, or anybody in our lives because we're stressed out, if we can understand that, then we can say, hey, look, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to blow up. I'm just really stressed out about X, Y, or Z. Once, once, we, once we breathe it into to the universe and we can talk about it, then, then we can change things. Because you can't be aware of something until you're aware of it. And once you're aware well, of it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you are seeing a lot more conversations now about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You also are seeing conversations about depression. You're seeing conversations about people contemplating suicide. We're also seeing that the suicide rate has gone up since the pandemic. Right. So as you see these things and you speak about them, do you think this is becoming more closer to the forefront now? Or do you think that we still have tons of work to do to bring this to the forefront? Yes. Um, but yes, both. It is coming to the forefront more, but we still got we still got a long way to go. Um, because in, in one of the, the the pieces I'm working on right now is a is a six piece and uh, six unit program for it was designed for kids in high school to help them understand you know what just basically how to think differently and it starts off with a disc assessment helping them understand that um, it talks about you know attitude and mindset you know, changing your if you change your mind you can change your outcome. Um, and it's based on a quote that a buddy of mine and I came up with over dinner one night. And we, we, just, we said that your circumstances are no more responsible for your results or your actions than the mirror is for your appearance. So it's getting people. And I, interestingly enough, I use the same curriculum in a uh, business accelerator program because we're just we got to teach people to think. So let me let me ask you when you say that because let this kind of gives some perspective if you don't mind of course. Do you think that someone who might be born into privilege, and let's say for instance my my parents have a leader jet, have the same thing as somebody who might be that was born into poverty with a single parent? Um, You know, it's if you if you're born into privilege, then you you have access to things that people. That that are uh, born into poverty don't have. Okay. Well, 
the one of the other sayings I have, and people have to listen because it's it's close to something else, is okay. you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it think. Think, not drink. Okay, got it. Right. Um, so you know we we can, and this is and this goes back to my my statement about you know we 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 judge ourselves on our, our weaknesses and failures, and everybody else on the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. I, I you know work with CEOs that, that have have the deal with the same, same emotional issues that, that people that are, you know, they're worried about making their next rent payment have. Um, and it's, we've, we've taught people how to do things. We haven't taught people how to think about how to do things. So, um, yes, if, if you've got privilege, you have access to it. The question is, and we see lots of, we see lots of people that, are, that have plenty of money that are born into extreme privilege that turn out to be useless because they, they and I think it's a fair assessment, but I just wanted to get your perspective on it because yes, I think that it's a, it's a combination of both. It's depending on whatever you decide to move forward with. I think it, it's depends on how you look at your perspective and how you want to proceed. So no, I mean, believe, I don't think that there's a wrong answer. I definitely don't think there's a right answer either, but I just wanted to see what, what you thought about. One of the things that I, in this, in this program that I talk about is, um, when to, it's it's in the it's in the module on responsibility, and it's talking about whether you have an internal or external locus of control. So somebody that has an internal locus of control, for example, uh, believes that they have control that they understand that there are certain things that they can control, and that's what they focus on. They understand that there are, there is events that they have no control over that will affect them, but they but they understand that that's that's not everything. Sure, sure. Something happened. COVID came up. I have no control over COVID. What I have control over is how I respond to COVID. Right. You know? Okay. So I make sure that I'm, you know, I, I wash my hands. I take my vitamins. I, I wear my mask. I, I make sure I don't you know, get close to people that are sneezing or coughing or that kind of stuff. And then you've got people that have the external locus of control that believe that there's nothing that they can do about it, that it's just you know, the world is just just a, a dark, dingy place that has it just wakes up every morning conspire on how they can how they can make William Sampson feel bad. And that's that <laughs> and just to get people to think past that. And, and, you know, a lot of times that has to do with privilege. People that, that have privilege think, well, OK, yeah, I got some I have some ability to control this, um, whereas people that are not born into privilege think that the world, you know, I'm, I'm poor because my parents are poor and they're poor because my grandparents are poor. And, you know, they just, if, the back to the, or the, the, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Right. They, they don't, nobody's, nobody's helped them understand that they have the ability to, if they don't like your circumstances, all they have to do is change their, their, their thought process and their thought process will change their, their, their habits and their habits will, will, change their outcome. So to understand that you, you have control over just damn near anything. You know, and we look at, we look at people that have risen from, and I, I love Ben Carson, for example, uh, you know, with, with a story about Carson and his mom, you know, she was a domestic and she realized that, that the, the environment that she worked in and the environment she lived in were vastly different. And what she recognized was the number of books that were, were in the house of the people that she worked for versus the number of books that were in the homes of the people she lived with. 
So she made Ben and his, and his, his brother read a book. I don't know what the, remember what the time frame was, but once a week, once a, twice a month, whatever it was, and write a report for it. Well, Carson was in, was in medical school before he realized or found out that his mom couldn't read. She had never been able to read any of the, of the reports that they had written, but she still made him do it. Right. And he, it's, a great, it's a great story. With yeah. that, and that's, that's the fun part about it. Now, let me ask something kind of strange here because we talked about it briefly, but we really didn't take a dive into it. Sure. You start talking about the disc profile. Yeah. How, how old do you think someone should be when they do it the first time? Um, you know, we have, we, we, and I say we, that's Maxwell's organization. We have um, report, reports based on disc for kids as young as eight. Okay. So and with, with the youngsters, it's all a matter of, you know, this is where you get your energy from. You know, Alan gets his energy from this. William gets his energy from that. Mikey gets his energy from that. Susie gets her energy from here. And one's not right or wrong or good or bad. They're just different. So that's part of, especially with younger kids, with kids from eight to, you know, eight, eight to, to 20, you know, into their teens. That's part of that developing self-awareness and emotional intelligence. It's like, okay, you know, because just, and it's part of what we talked about earlier was just because I get my energy from this and, and Alan gets his energy from that, one's not good or bad or right or wrong. They're just different. And when we can understand that it's okay and cool to be different, one of the things that goes away or at least is reduced is bullying. Because if a bully comes up to you on the playground and says, Alan, you're a blank, 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 blank. And if you don't have any self-awareness, you go, gosh, maybe I am. So now you've, you've, you've taken on that, that which somebody else has placed on you, which is not your, it's not yours to carry in the first place. But if you've got good self-awareness and the, and the bully comes up and says, Alan, you're blankety blankety blank. And you go, no, I'm not. Oh, that's a different conversation. Oh, absolutely. It, it, absolutely. And a bully can be, you know, 50 years old and be a CEO of the company, or it can be a line manager, or he can be a, you know, he can be a safety, safety engineer. No, it, it's very interesting on, on how you tie that in together. And I think it's great, especially if you're saying it's the young of, of age of eight. Now, here's another question for you regards to the disc profile. Mm-hmm. How frequently do you think people should actually retake it? You know, periodically um, it's, it's, your, your basic core of who you are is not really going to change. Uh, it will change based on your circumstances sometimes. So, for example, if I'm working with a, an executive in his company and he says, you know what, this would be really helpful for me, for my family to do so that we could understand the families. And that's part of what I was doing when I was this, this summer and spring with the family stress to family best is giving giving people kind of that 10,000 foot level, but also saying, look, if you, if you're interested in doing a, an actual assessment um, of you and your, your kids and your, your family and do the debrief within the family, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll charge you to do that. But the, 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 the seminar was free. Um, but if, if we do it with an executive at, at work and he wants to do it at home, I'll say, I want you to retake the, the, the assessment based on, you know, who you, what your role is at home, because you may be a high powered executive at home, but you get at home and typically mama wears the pants in a lot of areas. So, you, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you know, you will, you will respond differently to that assessment in, in the home environment as opposed to the work environment. 
So oh, absolutely. I would I would definitely say if in in that situation it should be redone. But typically, your who you are fundamentally is probably won't change unless you're doing, you know, if you're doing personal development and you're you're working on yourself and changing yourself, um, you you will have you will have better awareness. But again, it's probably not going to change who you are fundamentally. Okay. Okay. And of course, depending, I've heard different things. I've heard one guy say between five to 10 years. And I was like, that seems okay. But then I was like, kind of looked at it and I was like, does it make enough sense to do for it? And so, being as it's something that sounds like that you interact with quite, quite often, I figured I would ask the question. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and DISC is just one of many assessments. Uh, oh, right. There's, <clears throat> I worked with a guy or just, we're starting to do some partnership with, with a guy who's, um, He's worked with a lot of really big companies like the Alcatels and Johnson and Johnson, those kind of folks. Um, and he's he's got uh, fifteen different assessments, you know, that, that assess, uh, you know, what are your what are your cognitive skills? How do you, uh, you know, what are your value based skills? What do you how do you process information, uh, you know, from your perceptive styles or the the those, those kind of things. So looking at diff, how you respond in different environments and different, um, just assessing different parts of the personality. And that's, that's part of what I'm working on with, with this program uh, is that I'm, what I want to do is take this into schools where I will do the kind of the, the, the first part of it, where it helping, helping the kids do, do the assessments understand their their personality style kind of get it started and then the the balance of it will be kind of a train the trainer thing for the for the teachers to facilitate the other five modules as as they go through this um, so so let me ask, let me ask you this so right now with a lot of the the stuff that you're mentioning is this learning management systems that you have available via your website or is this actual courses that you teach personally it's what i teach and, okay. and, and, and part of what I'm, what I will be doing the, toward the end of this year and first quarter of next year is, is making that more virtual where it's available on my website. Uh, okay. You know, I, th- I think, again, back to the, you, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it think um, you can, I can have this all available on my, on my, uh, my website, but unless there's, there's some triggering event to get somebody to go, you know what, I need that. And that's that's where it comes from for me being out there speaking and, and helping make people aware. Because until, like I said earlier, until you you can't be aware of something until you're aware of it. And so what my my job as a speaker is, is to make people aware of ways that they can be better. They can be that better human um, and they can be a better human by, first of all, understanding themselves and those that are close to them. Because one of the things that I my 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 frequent statements is until you're the best version of yourself, you're not going to be the person that those who depend on you need you to be. So true. I think true statement has not been said. Now, if people want to know more information about you and the service offerings that you have work and they go to find out more information, Uh, my website, wkspeaker.com. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the show today. It's been my pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with William from WK Speaker. To find out more information about William, go to WKSpeaker.com. You've been taking a listen to The Jay Allen Show exclusively on Safety FM. 
the radio station, the podcast network, and whatever portion of the multiverse you want to be tied into. Anyways, always thank you for being the best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. Safety FM is the home of Real Safety Talk. Well, don't be worried. We'll be back with another episode of the Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.